throughout history, we have witnessed um, a certain sense of assigning some pseudo-royalty to certain individuals. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it could be, but not necessarily. If you remember back in the, in the 60s, I believe, um, the Kennedy era was also known as the Camelot era. era. There are several jazz musicians in history that have been known as the Count, or the, the, uh, the Count or the Duke. If you remember Elvis Presley, before he passed way too early, he was known and is still known in several circles as the, the king of music and the king of rock and roll. And if you're a golf fan, just a couple years ago, we lost one of the, the, the greatest golfers of all time, maybe not the best, but one of the greatest, and he was known as the king of golf, and that was Arnold Palmer. And in part, we do this because we as a people just have a fascination with assigning some sense of royalty or deity or kingship to them. But perhaps we also do that as a people because in the midst of all of our freedom that we have in this country, we know that we're missing something. And we long to have someone above us that we can assign some sense of authority. And if you're a golfer, there was no one better to look at than the king in Arnold Palmer. This morning we're going to continue on with our series, Teach Us to Pray. And as we've done the last few weeks, I have found another video and will continue to. I have a stockpile of them now. You spoke. I, I listened. Um, This one this morning that we're going to look at after I pray um, is quite unique, but let me pray first. Father, we bow before you and ask that you would teach us this morning. As we hear your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and that you would cause the busyness and the anxieties of last week and this coming week to, to go away. Holy Spirit, would you supernaturally work within us and overturn the hardness of our hearts that you would, by your grace, increase our faith and our understanding of who you are and what you've done for us. Father, we ask simply, like like the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray. Lord, would you do that with us this morning and help us to worship you well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we listened to the Lord's Prayer in Spanish as it was sung by those three guys. And some of you were able to follow that along and you were able to either word for word get what they were saying or you were able to catch a few different words. My guess is that the only word you caught this morning at the end was amen. (laughs) Uh, Amen. Um, You know, for many of us, we hear the Lord's Prayer said in Arabic, Arabic and it's almost a little bit of a surprise to us. For many of us, as we come further into this series, We do, and I reminded this morning, I think on some level, that we need to repent and confess that we really don't believe that God's a God of the nations. And we're reminded in that short video that we just watched that God is a sovereign God who is building his kingdom, which involves the calling out of people out of Islam into his family into the kingdom of God. 
And instead of seeing only those who live in the Middle East as potential terrorists, may God have his mercy on us and allow us to see that, that he is still sitting on the throne and he is still adopting sons and daughters to be part of the faith, uh, despite the language that they speak and our preconceived notions about them. Uh, the title of the sermon this morning is, He's, and there, I, I missed a word here, He's Still in Charge. He is in charge as we come to this portion of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to read again Matthew 6, verses 10a, or Matthew 6, 9, verse 10a. And Jesus says, the Lord's Prayer, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And the part that we're going to focus on this morning for a few minutes is this last phrase that we just read, your kingdom come. And I may have bit off more than I I should have, um, but I decided to divide the next part into next week. So this is kind of a part, part A, next week is part B. Your kingdom come, your will be done is the phrase that we'll look at next week. And just as a reminder at the beginning of this sermon, um, the first half of these petitions are all God-centered. They are attempting, Jesus is attempting to model for his disciples. Don't say these exact words. You don't have to repeat this prayer over and over, but pray like this. Pray, this is a model for you. And the first half of this prayer has nothing to do with us. has everything to do with adoring and ascribing the right glory to him. And then in the second half, he gets to the needs of his children. Last week, we looked at that phrase, our, um, how, our Father, hallowed be your name. And the verse that we looked at, just to recap quickly, was Revelation chapter 4, verse 2 and 8. And we're told here, at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I hope you see that there is a deep connection between Jesus uttering those words, teaching his disciples to pray, hallowed be your name. If you remember, he wasn't ascribing a sense of holiness to him, but instead he was making a request, Jesus, would you hallow your name? Would you lift it up throughout all of creation? You are already holy, so I'm not asking you to make your name more holy, but Lord, would you help us? Would you give us greater eyes to see and minds to understand that you are a holy and separate God? And so there's this deep connection between, Father, hallowed be your name, and may your kingdom come. You are the Holy One. And there is, there is an evangelistic component about that as we spread the good news of the gospel, hallowing his name. And as we're doing that, God, would you usher in more and more your kingdom? This week, as I have thought about um, this topic, may your kingdom come. 
uh, so, many, so many childhood memories came back to me because there is a kingdom here in the United States that we bow the knee to. Every single, well, maybe not every single one of us, most of us have. And I'm not suggesting that this is necessarily a bad thing, because, but it does paint for us this beautiful picture of how we see in the here and now the things that we want to love. Back in the early 60s, there was a man out in the state of California who had already created something. And he decided he wanted to extend that business of his. And so he bought property after finding several investors, and they bought property in the state of Florida, in the Orlando area, all because of this tiny little mouse that he created. And through that one little mouse that he created has blossomed into this $11 billion a year business. And and the, the, the first park that they built in Orlando was interestingly enough named, what? Magic Kingdom. And I believe some of you just returned from the Magic Kingdom. This is not, this is not poo-pooing on the Magic Kingdom. I went several times as a child. Interestingly enough, Walt Disney tapped into something that has spread like wildfire. Fire. He tapped into this notion that there is a place that we all long and crave to be at and to be a part of and to be influenced by, to, be, um, to, to experience this sense of euphoria, and it has exploded. It is more popular today than it was when it first opened its doors in Orlando in 1971. And here's the, here's the truth. If you've never been, you've missed out. But if you have been, you have experienced this. I went several times as a child. I've been as an adult with my young children, although it's been several years. We lived in Orlando. We had to go. Um, there is something absolutely magical about walking into the Magic Kingdom. You can't deny that. If you deny it, go, go to Six Flags Atlanta. And then next week, go to the Magic Kingdom. And there is absolutely no comparison. Why are we drawn to that? Why are we, why are we so amused, not in a bad way, but why are we so amused and enthralled with what that has to offer? It's because there's something within us I'm going to give you two reasons just quickly. There's something, A, in us that knows that there's something missing in the ordinary daily grind. And you can go there on vacation and you can have an unbelievable time if you like people in crowds. But then there's also something within us that we recognize that, that every good and perfect gift is from God above. And you may disagree with this, but Walt Disney's dream of the Magic Kingdom is a part of that. In some weird way, that helps us understand and to see that we are drawn to something outside of ourself. 
We are drawn to that which creates a culture and an environment that I want to be a part of. Why did he create it? Simply so that families could come together and have fun. That was his initial mission statement. Not in those exact words. But I want to create a magical place where moms and dads can bring their children and they together could have fun. And now we see here in the scriptures... Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. I want you to pray like this. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. Um, If you go back into the Old Testament, uh, let me back up. I'm I'm doing something a little different this morning. I have one point, and that's it. So if I didn't tell you that, those of you who are familiar with me preaching three points, you'd have got really, really nervous come 10.30 or 11.30 and I'm still on point one. One point, that's it. After you hear this, those of you who routinely do this, you may check out. The rest of you, stick with us. Here's that point. Lesson, the only lesson I want to derive from this this morning, and I'm, I'm okay doing this, just one main point. A, we're going to finish the, the sermon next week with your will be done And then because we have this three-year sermon series planned in several months, we're actually going to do a a separate sermon series. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? And so we're going to come back to this, and we're going to spend five, six weeks just on this theme. But here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. Kingdom prayers are simply about the spread of Jesus' authority. That's it. Jesus is praying, Father, may your kingdom come because he is concerned about the spread of his authority and his glory. Now, you could make the argument, why is he praying for that? Why is he praying that his father's kingdom might come? But if you remember uh, in, the, in John chapter 10, in, in verse 30, Jesus says to his disciples, by the way, if you aren't figuring this out, I and the Father are one. We're, we're, the same, uh, we're the same God. We're one God, three persons. And so he's saying, I and the Father are one, and he's praying, demonstrating some sense of humility that he's teaching them to go to the Father. May you, God, expand your kingdom. May you make it more real for us. I want to back up, though, just a little bit. If we go back into the Old Testament... In the Old Testament, you see this theme of kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which really they are synonymous. But you see this theme throughout the whole Old Testament. And when it's initially introduced, the concept of the kingdom of God is seen uh, specifically just kind of as a natural place where it has boundaries. So you can point to a specific place for a specific people who have their own specific deity. And so you have kingdoms all over the place. And so there were kingdoms in the Old Testament that competed against the chosen people of God where they said, we are the kingdom of God. And so initially in that Old Testament, when you referred to the kingdom of God, it designated just a very specific place. And then you saw when they were traveling after the exodus for some 40 years, and they had the Ark of the Covenant, and that was a symbol of the kingdom of God that went with them. 
And then as Jim alluded to earlier, when the southern kingdom and the northern northern kingdom first and the southern kingdom, when it was ransacked and completely destroyed and God's people were sent all over the place, there was a little bit of a shift in how they saw the kingdom of God. It wasn't at that point anymore designated to just a specific place, but instead it was this notion that the kingdom of God is, a, is something that rules and reigns over his people no matter where we're at. The Hebrew people at that point no longer lived exclusively in Palestine, so they had to broaden their definition, broaden their understanding of the kingdom of God. So how would we define it today? Jesus is he's asking us, his children, he's teaching us, He's begging us, may your prayers center around, God, may your kingdom come. And so just a short couple definitions, and I don't have them on the screen for you, so I'll repeat it. The kingdom of God is simply, it's the phenomenon of God's rule or the realm over which God rules or will rule. Here's a short way of saying it. What is the kingdom of God? It's God's ruling over his people. Graham Goldsworthy suggested this, a theologian. He's defined the kingdom of God as God's people in God's place under God's rule and his blessing. What's the kingdom of God? It's God's people in God's place wherever he has you under his rule and under his blessing. Kingdom of God's not a nation state any longer. It's not a system. Uh, it's not a government. It's not a geographical region. It's not a political map, despite what some of us want. The kingdom of God is his reigning and ruling over his people wherever that is. And so just stop for a second and think about that. When we pray, Father, may your kingdom come. You are praying and asking the God of creation, give me a deeper sense and a deeper obedience of your reigning and ruling over my life. We ask God to help us do things your way, not our way. Um, Kingdom of God is perhaps the central theme uh, in the New Testament. By extension, the kingdom of God refers to, so when he says, may your kingdom come, Jesus is also referring to, that kingdom, by the way, is me. The person of Jesus Christ and his kingdom are synonymous. We see in Matthew chapter 3 where John the Baptist, who was the precursor to Christ, utters these words, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and he said to his people, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus uh, gives them this, says the same thing, but from his own lips. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I've already suggested to you that the only lesson I want to walk away this morning with is your, may your kingdom come is this understanding and this recognition of his 
the person of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, his authority and rule over our life. Um, why is that necessary? Why, why are those two words or two phrases go together? Repent. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we have to go all the way back to the, the initial garden narrative where we see in just, those, just that one chapter where the kingdom of God was in place in a state of perfectness, where Adam and Eve enjoyed all of the blessings, all of the ruling, all of the uh, relationship that comes with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as they lived in what was meant to be a state of perfectness, in a state of perfect union with the triune God. They experienced for just a short time what the kingdom of God was designed to look like. And then something happened. Then, then, then man's sin entered in, and the fall took place. And because of what Adam and Eve did in choosing, we want to be just like God. And so we're going to listen to the enemy who has this competing kingdom in mind. We're going to listen to that enemy. We're going to partake of the fruit. We're going to disobey the one command that has been given to us. Thou shalt not eat of of the fruit. So they partook of it and the fall happened. And God in his kindness and his mercy could have just wiped them away and said, I've tried with two and they couldn't get it right. Why would I make more? Instead, God turned to his son and at that point instituted a covenant of grace to Adam and Eve and subsequently to us. There will be one who comes who bruises the heel or his heel will bruise the head of the enemy. So why do we need to repent? Because of what Adam and Eve did as our representatives and because of what they did, this notion of the kingdom of God, even though Jesus says it's at hand, meaning it's now, it's taking place now. I'm here. I've inaugurated the kingdom of God today. It's taking place. But because of what Adam and Eve did as our federal head, as our representative, That was broken. And Christ is pushing back against the kingdom of this earth. And he's renewing all things despite what it looks at. And so we see this competing two kingdoms, the kingdom of this earth and the kingdom of God. And probably nobody said it better, nobody explained it better than back in the early 300s where St. Augustine wrote this famous book called The City of God. And the first city is the city of God, not merely because he resides there, but because his character and his authority define it. His character and his authority. Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. They're inseparable. They go hand in hand. Their God's sovereignty and authority is unmitigated. It's unconditioned. It is ordered according to the rule and the reign of God's law which demonstrates simultaneously an equal proportion his justice, his righteousness, his mercy, and his holiness. We see all of that in the city of God. But then Augustine paints a picture of the city of man. 
And in the city of man, it's characterized by selfishness, ungodliness, conflict, strife. The city of man is temporary. It was both conditioned because of their sin, and it was something that was created. The city of God, though, Augustine reminds us, is a place uh, that is never going to pass away while the city of man will. Have we not seen the, the reality of these two competing kingdoms? Just watch the news. It's unbelievable for many of us to watch the news and to hear these debates and these fights and the response of, uh, of many around our nation as the result of the laws that have been signed and put into place by the state of Georgia, by the state of Ohio, by the state of Alabama. And, and, and does the state of Alabama's laws go too far? I, I don't know, maybe, probably but we see this, this, this kingdom or this city of man which is fighting back. And, th- and this is what's taking place. You can bo- boil it all down to just this simple principle. We do not want to bow the knee to the kingdom of God. As Bill Bright used to say in his illustrations with Campus Crusade, man has looked at Jesus who is sitting on the throne and has said, excuse me, but would you get off because I would like to be sitting there myself. And so all that's taking place in society today, we look at it and we can boil it down to this competing kingdom. But you have to, we, you have to I have to take it a step further. It would become so easy for you and for I to look at what's taking place in culture, and, and to immediately conclude, we are on God's side, therefore he's on our side, which is true. But, but not to recognize that this city of man, this competing agenda, also lives within you and it lives within me. And there's a reason that the scriptures tell us that, that his mercies are new every day. Why? Despite the fact that Jesus is making us into a new creation, despite the fact that we have his Holy Spirit living within us, we live within this kingdom of God, and we look around and we see the kingdom that man has to offer. And, and I want that. Please, please hear this. If you've tuned me out, come back just for a second. Entering into the city of man is not necessarily sinful in and of itself. Within this city of man that we live in, God is pushing back against that curse that overtook it one day in the past, and he's making those things new as well. And so it is possible for us to enjoy the beauty and the blessings of the city of man as long as we're stepping into that for the glory of God. As long as we're stepping into that city of man with this prayer at the core of our heart, God, as I live here in the city of man, and as your kingdom is already at hand, may your kingdom continue to come. God, would you help me to live under the rule and the reign of your authority in that city of man? 
Um, how do we see this take place? Because as long as we live in the city of man, there's going to be trouble all over the place. And we're going to rub shoulders with those who sin against us in deep ways. And we're going to rub shoulders with our own brothers and our own sisters in Christ. And we're going to sin against them deeply. How do we live within that tension? We're reminded of two stories I just want to quickly remind you of in the Old Testament. I think that exemplifies this better than any one that we just studied for several weeks. But if you go all the way back to the Old Testament and you see that these brothers sold their beloved brother Joseph into slavery and through God's kingdom that is coming and it is he is still ruling and he's still reigning god orchestrates it that that joseph who was sold into slavery ascends to great power uh, in the throne not the throne but great power next to the throne and his brothers through god's providence and god's ruling and reigning sends joseph's brothers to him and when they recognize that this is their brother that they had sold into slavery they cry out with great fear because they assumed rightfully so that now that joseph's in a position of power he's going to wipe him out and joseph had the grace because of god's spirit working in him joseph had the grace to say Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Please please see that as, as an example of Joseph living in the city of man, the kingdom of man, and God's kingdom overruling and reigning. As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's living in the city of man and allowing God's kingdom to come. We also saw this in the book of Esther uh, just a few weeks ago as we went through that series. And Esther is, is, has risen to a place of, of position authority as the queen over, over all of Persia at that point. And because of what Haman had decided to wipe out every Jew, man, woman, and child, God was still on his throne. He was still building his kingdom. He's still pushing back against the curse. God speaks through Esther's adopted father, Mordecai, and says to her, Esther, who knows whether or not that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I hope you see that as instructive for us. How do we live in the city of man, this kingdom that man is is building and creating for ourselves, where we turn to idols every day? And I, I want you to just pause and think about that for a second. The idols that we turn to, if we just stopped and paused and went around the room and said, just give us a list of five of your favorite pet idols, some of you would rightly say, you only want five? Because there are more. And so I want you to think for a second, we who have God's Spirit in us, who have been bought with a price of His Son's perfect sacrifice, that we are being made new and, and, and conformed into the image of Christ, 
You and I, as long as we live in this world, in this competing kingdom, kingdoms, we are going to struggle with idols. How much more will our neighbors, who have not tasted the sweet beauty of the salvation of God, who don't have that gift of the Spirit, so how do we live amongst them? By recognizing that God is still on his throne And as we interact with them, we pray, God, may your kingdom come. Um, We're told in, um, uh, let let me jump forward. Three takeaways. How do we walk, what do we walk away with this? May your kingdom come. Takeaway number one is simply this. Uh, Jesus has done what? He's instructing us. I want you to pray. Pray for the kingdom to come. We're told in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and it was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, that all nations, that all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. That's a beautiful picture of what has already started, but there is so much more to come. And Daniel, by the grace and gift of God, saw that vision of when when the Son of Man, Jesus himself, would return that one last time and would make everything bow to his knee. We are to pray for this. We are to, on a daily basis, go before our Father who is in heaven and beg that his kingdom would be a greater reality within our own hearts and in the hearts of our neighbors who do not know him yet. Can, can I be honest with you? You know what you know the only reason we started this series why in the world did Scott Bull want to do a series on the Lord's Prayer? Because my prayer life stinks. And I hate it. I hate that I'm more quick to phone a friend or to try to plan B something or to run down and... I've got Jim Bland flipping the Reverend Dr. Jim Bland in the office next to me. And so we entered into this series because I, I want to, more than anything, to become a person who understands what it is to go before the Father. If you catch any crumbs as a result of this, thanks be to God. But I'm just going to tell you in my selfishness, it was about me, not about you. Pray. Pray that his kingdom would come because we see the opposing kingdom all around us every day, and it is fighting for our soul. Here's the second thing. Um, Second takeaway, seek the kingdom by living under the authority of Jesus, (laughs) by living under Jesus' authority. You, You help answer that prayer that we pray, Lord, may your kingdom come. We're part of the answer as we 
by God's grace, live a life that is more and more conformed to the image of His Son. And as we look more like Jesus in our behavior and in our obedience, that's helping bring in the kingdom of God. And as we said last week, I want to say it again, there is an incredible evangelistic component to this. And I suggested to you that last week, that the point of, that the main point of the uh, Great Commission is not the conversion of souls. Go therefore and baptize or make disciples of all nations. And a part of that making disciples secondarily is that some people would be converted. But the primary goal of making disciples is that God would be glorified. And that as we glorify God by making disciples, you are part of the answer to that prayer and part of the process that God is wanting to usher in his kingdom. Grasp this for a second. Go back to those idols that you struggle with. And every time, by God's grace, you say, God, you win out this time. I'm not doing that. It was by your grace, it's for your grace, it's through your grace. I'm not going to do that because I don't have to turn to it anymore. I'm going to allow you to rule and reign over me in that. And when you do that, and when I do that, we are ushering in just a tiny bit more the kingdom of God in this place. So pray for his kingdom. Seek his kingdom by living under the authority of Jesus. If you're just going to live under grace and say, I can do whatever I want, it doesn't matter, then you have no understanding of grace. And you have no understanding of Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, God, hallowed be your name and may your kingdom come. Um, Here's the third takeaway. We've We've already really talked about this. Pray for the kingdom to come. Seek the kingdom by living under his authority. I would be remiss if I didn't share this, or didn't say this. Share the news of the kingdom. Push back. Don't just live your holy life and that's it. There's got to be more than that. Take the preciousness of this gift that has been given to us and help Usher in the kingdom of God by praying for your neighbor who's a Muslim or a Hindu or an atheist or an agnostic or a naturalist or whatever. Pray for them and then go and share the gospel with them. And whether or not they become a convert, whether they become a disciple, that's God's role. That's his part. You let him water the seed that that we plant. But we, we live within a circle of Christianity. We live in this camp where we don't do that anymore. And it's the brothers that we like to, the brothers and sisters of the Christian faith that we like to point fingers at and to make, they're the ones who are helping usher in the kingdom because they're the ones who are out there enthusiastically sharing the gospel. And it doesn't make any sense. Our theology drives us to that with a sense of confidence and comfort I can't force them, but I can share it and God can water it. Um, John chapter 18, verse 37 tells us this. Then Pilate said to him with a snarky question, 
So you are the, you are the king? Jesus answered, you just said it. You, you say that I'm the king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And the truth is what? That he is the king of the kingdom of God. Let me pray. Father, would you help us? Would you pull us out of the the state of, of comfort that we live in, that we seek? Lord, would you pull us, some of us who are sitting here this morning who are gripped by idolatry and we don't know how to turn to you or we do turn to you and it doesn't seem to be working. Father, with the power of your spirit, would you rule and reign in our hearts and give us the ability to not long for and to crave and to desire and to lust over the things of this world, the things that are good, but things that pale in comparison to you. God, we can't do that on our own, so we, we plead for your help. God, you, you have displayed the beauty of who you are in a sense with giving us a Walt Disney world. God, would you help us to see that, but then give us greater eyes to see that it pales in comparison to who you are as our king. God, give us eyes to see that and hearts to believe it and a will that desires to obey and live under your authority. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.